Hey guys, how's it going? Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I am, of course, Joe Magician. And today we have a very, well, a very weird and exciting look into the world of Song of Ice and Fire. One of the most underrated and driving forces behind a Song of Ice and Fire isn't really like, you know, Blood Raven being a puppet master, a secret conspiracy from Dorne about some sort of lemons, which is all sorts of weird, or a bunch of green men running around on the Isle of Faces just doing who knows what. Although some of those are kind of connected to this issue. And that is that some of these biggest plot lines, characters, and maybe even the fate of Westeros are tied up in this wild world of prophecy. Um, <clears throat> joining me today to talk about our favorite aspects of prophecy and our favorite Targaryen kings, who are almost assuredly a part of this and an overview of how prophecy enters the story to the chagrin of many of our characters and how and how it impacts the larger story in particular i would say our dragony friends the targaryens and that is amanda aka crowfood's daughter aka the disputed lands hey amanda how's it going uh well i got my targaryen shirt on today repping it just making sure A song of ice and fire. <gasps> oh my god. Didn't plan this. <laughs> oh, wait, hang on. They can't hear you. Whoops. Um, no, that's my fault. Um, so audio. All right. Give it a shot. Start talking. Oh, there you okay. go. That should be it. So we're there. Hey, hey guys. Um, so <laughs> sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so my name is Amanda. I go by Crowfood's daughter, and um, I do have a YouTube channel where I talk about a lot of things, mostly Ironborn things and um, strange and weird things throughout the series that might be considered maybe ancient or magical and mysterious. So. Um, anyway, uh, uh, thanks for having me, Matt. I, I love this topic and it's something that I've actually been working on recently. So I'm pretty excited to, to uh, be a part of it today. Yeah, you put out that recent video talking about uh, kind of the merging of the different prophecies, um, where they kind of intersect, where they go apart, which characters are linking them together. It's a really good video. Um, I linked it down in the description. I'm just going to go ahead and grab the link real fast and drop it in the chat, too. I just tried to type Amanda into YouTube search like that would come up with what I was looking for. <laughs> I just tried to do that. The war continues. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, um, about 10% uh, of the women my age or, you know, in you know, uh, around my age were named Amanda. Mm -hmm. So, um, not really going to work. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I dropped it in the chat. Yeah. Um, we've also worked on this before. We talked about, um, my pyres and blood, which has since been renamed to what causes Targaryen madness. Uh, you worked on it at the same time as your Baylor, the blessed video, mm -hmm. and that will come up later in the stream. It's, you know, this is something the two of us are pretty passionate about and that we've put probably way, way, way too much time into thinking about, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not 
I, honestly, I don't think I, I've spent enough time. I, I <laughs> will probably be spending. <laughs> I, I have no intention of quitting. So, <laughs> at some point, your channel is going to be like ninety percent prophecy. <laughs> prophecy, just just and then mermaids. <laughs> Who knows? One of these days, I'll actually become prophetic. I'll just be so in in tune to it that I'll I'll start having visions of <gasps> three headed dragons and random things. <laughs> <laughs> I have no intention of quitting. Never going to happen. Just way more prophecy <laughs> content coming. Um, let's see here. So in the past streams, I put it at 150 likes to make me put on a funny hat. I think this time for Amanda, we're going to bump that number up 175 likes and I'll put on a funny hat. Okay. Nice. There is a, there is a germ hat on the way that has not arrived with a turtle pin because Weren't you the one they gave that donated for that last time? You're like, Matt, go buy a turtle pen. Yes, that that was me. Did it come in? Did you say it, it has? It, it has not come in yet. Amazon's a liar. Amazon's a dirty liar. <laughs> they are dirty liars. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll have it by Thursday. I'm like, I will. Oh, no, definitely not. But like we told you, you would. <laughs> That's funny. You know what? I bought my mother a Mother's Day present and it came a month late from Amazon. Mm hmm. Um, and uh, it was very disappointing because it was chocolates and I was, you know, it, there were chocolates from Germany. So I guess I could see how it took longer than expected. But um, anyway, I was just <laughs> totally concerned that it would be completely melted. And I, I felt so bad because my mother didn't get her Mother's Day present for like a month later. But uh, everything was fine. It worked out. And so hopefully your turtle pen will work out too. That is exactly as tragic as me not getting my turtle pen. <laughs> exactly the same. Uh, so I thought well, there's a lot of quotes out of George about prophecy in his story. Um, he's given direct ones where people ask him about it. But there's one that he included in the text that, um, that uh, you wanted to read for us. So why don't you go ahead, Amanda? Why don't you give us the overview of how George wants you to think about prophecy in his story in his classic way? Yes. So, okay. The quote states, Gorgon of old Gis once wrote that prophecy is like a treacherous woman. She takes your member in her mouth and you moan with the pleasure of it and think, how sweet, how fine, how good this is. And then her teeth snap shut and your moans turn to screams. That is the nature of prophecy, said Gorgon. Prophecy will bite your prick off every time thanks george thanks for making that how you want people to think about it a horror story blowjob that's prophecy well, well you know how much he loves castration i mean yeah. it's all over the that's true it is really all over the place <laughs> uh and this it, is something, it is and this is something is. that everybody was, lives there and this was something that was kind of left out of much of the show. So um, it kind of came up during season seven when Melisandre told Danny she was Azor High or the prince that was promised. I think they said the prince that was promised. They didn't mix them. Um, Melisandre was telling Stannis the whole time. Uh, but th it's it's kind of a topic that was really toned down. Quaith is barely in there. The House of the Undying ends up being a weird kidnapping instead of the prophetic drug trip that it is goes to high heart isn't in the show so i thought you know we would go over some of the biggest examples and you know show how does it work in george's world you know there's there's very 
there's many different forms and ways that prophecy kind of peeks their head into a song of ice and fire. It's kind of like an ever present needling of characters and plot lines. And it's something that's sort of lurking behind the curtain on so many of these characters and plot lines that we love. And some of the biggest ones are even trying to make the prophecy happen or understand what it means much to their very much their own detriment. Like, like you said, with the, with the quote from Gorgon of Gis, following this stuff almost always is a punisher mechanic on his characters. There's nobody happy. They did this. Everyone's like, well, shit, that sucked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And there's, there's prophecy comes in a few forms. One of the things that we've talked about in the past is dragon dreams and, and just, you know, prophetic dreams in general. Um, the go- the ghost of high heart, she receives very, very accurate um, prophetic dreams. And, and she receives them more so through the weirwood net and through the trees and through the old gods than through whatever magic is um, lying beneath uh, dragon dreams. But um, we see it throughout the Targaryen dynasty. You talk about Dayron in your Aemon uh, mm-hmm. the Dreamer video. Um, we have a lot of very, very accurate, very prophetic dreamers within the series, the most famous of which is probably going to be Daenys the Dreamer, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, throughout Targaryen history, she was the one that uh, prophesied the doom of Valeria and had eventually uh, saved uh, House Targaryen. And, and that's why we have our, our <laughs> House Targaryen now is, is because they were actually saved by a prophetic dream. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's prophetic dreams. And then we also have, um, some more ancient prophecies that have been written down that, um, or that have been, uh, passed along through oral tradition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those are going to be like your Azora high or prince that was promised your stallion that mounts the world. Um, you know, uh, the green grace talks about some prophecies with his star, Mar- you know, the harpy marrying the dragon. Mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so there's there's a couple different flavors of of prophecy, even with within dreaming, and so um, it, it's kind of out there throughout the series, and it it makes the reader kind of wonder: Is this going to happen, and how is this going to happen? Because a lot of the dreams and a lot of these prophecies can be more metaphorical or symbolic than actual, literally, you know, a literal interpretation. And so that's why we have all these people that have theories of who's going to be a Zora High is because you can take almost anything and make it into a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they're so uncertain. Like the the way George literally absolutely. writes them is so that he can use them for anything. Uh, every time someone asks him, like, well, is this does this character fit that prophecy? Is this what that means? And he's like, he gives his classic, you know, keep reading. And that's, and you look all across YouTube, look all across Reddit, anywhere you want to find it. There is somebody with a theory about how Azor Ahai is some character and how they can make it fit. And I think it's kind of a funny meta commentary because that's literally happening in the story. Like Melisandre, Benero, um, there's schisms even within the faith of R'hllor about what this even means. Everybody's trying to find these characters, trying to make these myths come, come true to understand what the true interpretation should be. And that's like 
everybody's going wild with it. Like Danny and Jorah even have a conversation after the House of the Undying where they go through it like they were two YouTube theorists. They're like, well, maybe this means that. Maybe that means this. And it's like, okay, so that's what we're doing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And especially, you know, with the House of the Undying, with the uh, the, the three, uh, you know, betrayals or the treacheries, you know, is is this one of them? Is this one of them? Yeah. And, we, you know, you, we were talking in a conversation about how, um, you know, some of those prophecies um, might have been, you know, in a most way to sow discourse into Daenerys herself and her subconscious. Um, do you remember that conversation? I don't know. Uh, you were talking about how the Undying might have um, been trying. Oh, yes, yes, yes. How the how you can't really trust these things, how even like no. every all the characters sort of take them at face value. It's like, well, these things exist, therefore they are good. And it's not enough of them really not enough characters really taking into account like why you're being told it and by who and what their reason for doing so is, especially when it's a known fact in this world that like you t you whisper somebody prophecy and it like absolutely destroys their world. And um and the Undying specifically are telling Daenerys the prophecies about herself and what she's going to be in the world as they are trying to trap her in order to drain her like some kind of weird magical battery. Exactly. And and one of the things that um, I, I think that we don't take into consideration enough is that the Undying, um, one of the things that I think one of the reasons why the Undying was trying to trap or possibly kill her, drain her, do whatever they were to her. Um, if you're an undying one and you have um, complete access to all kinds of prophetic knowledge and knowledge in general, um, especially with prophecy and shade of the evening, chances are if somebody's about to destroy you, <laughs> you've probably seen it coming already. And so the undying probably knew that Daenerys was going to destroy her. So whenever they did what they were doing, it was probably preventative it attempting to prevent um their destruction in, in general so um so you can't escape your own fate it basically but anyway so not only do the prophecies lies the people telling them lie too all the time exactly or or they might withhold information um and i i think that melisandra um, has Melisandre with, withheld information from her? Yes, uh, we um, see it in her POV okay. chapter. I was yeah. on uh, Rhea Westeros, I think like a month ago, we were talking about yeah. this. And she does see things that she refuses to communicate to Stannis or Jon because she fears their reaction to it. That's right. Like like her seeing Jon Snow in the flames. Um, it's been confirmed in the, the World of Ice and Fire app that when she uh, looks search for, searches for Azora High, she actually sees John's face, but she refuses to believe it. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't, she doesn't share it with anybody, but, um, but yeah. And so, um, so absolutely prophecy within, within the series can be a very, very sticky subject. Um, there's all kinds of um, un unreliable narrators. And there's also a lot of people who have, um, you know, ulterior motives. So, to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff as far as what what is important what do we need to know and are we getting everything that we should regarding that 
I think in that vein, let's go to the the biggest prophecy, the one that literally everybody's chasing. Nobody's gotten it right. Uh, the thing that you talked about in your latest video, uh, Azora High slash the prince that was promised slash the dragon has three heads. Uh, these are presented in the story, sometimes as separate, sometimes the same. You made the argument in your video that they actually are one and the same, basically that. Mm -hmm. um, well, you can just explain it. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, um, so the the whole so let's start from the top. So um, there is the Azora High prophecy, and uh, Melisandre and Maester Aemon they both use the term "the prince that was promised" and Azora High pretty much interchangeably. Um, in the world of Ice and Fire, it states that the word Azora High, that the name Azora High, is actually specific to the religion of Rolor. So Melisandre uses the term that her religion prefers, which is Azora High, while uh, Maester Aemon actually uses the prince that was promised. And because Maester Aemon used it, uses that, a lot of people believe that um, it might be Valerian in orig origin. It, it um, might not. It's possible that they are both just different epithets of the same prophecy. Uh, but we're not really 100% sure because we're not given enough information regarding the subject. Um, but when you look at Maester Eamon's comments, actually, let me go back. Um, so, <laughs> so, so the main arguments for the people who believe that the prince that was promised is a separate um, uh, prophecy is number one, they're given different names. Mm -hmm. Number two, they potentially could come from different regions, the um, the names or possible prophecies. And number three, it, the Azor High prophecy doesn't make sense. <laughs> so it just doesn't. Yeah. And so the, when, when they take a look at the two, even though they're used interchangeably, they say, oh, well, if that is different, then that would make sense because one could be John and one could be Danny. And that would basically rationalize our two very strong contenders for Azora High. Um, however, uh, they are used interchangeably. Um, the word Azora High is actually very specific to the religion of Rolor. Mm -hmm. So the chances of it actually being um, saying as the, the word Azora High in the prophecy is, is actually kind of low because it's more of an ancient Ashai prophecy. It's a regional rather than a religious pro uh, prophecy. So there's probably a different term being used. Mm. And according to Maester Eamon, the term dragon is used within the prophecy. We don't know if it's if the if the prince that was promised is if it is a different prophecy, if it's used in that or if it's used in the Azora High. But chances are if um Azora High is specific to the religion of Alor, then a different term is being used. Mm -hmm. And if you, uh, there is uh, one mention, of, I think it's in the world of fire, how it describes, um, it describes the uh, dragon lords as uh, sorceress princes. Yeah. And if you actually take a look at the word for prince in the High Valerian wiki for, you know, what the word is, and mm -hmm. it actually shows um, this really odd side note and it states, that it, uh, the print uh, the word which is like Darius, which sounds a lot like Dario. Dario. I know it's, it's Darius. It, oh it's God. Darius. Um. Anyway, <laughs> this is going to spur off like twenty different theories. But uh, Darius, the prince. Dario, hi. Oh my God. <laughs> but uh, so the word is actually something similar to Darius, but um, 
Daryl Leros. Um, I, I'm not a hypolarian expert, but I did take a look at the wiki. And there's a really interesting side note. And the side note states that it the word appears to be um, derived from a verb that is not in existence, um, which is spelled Daragon, mm-hmm. which is almost the exact same word as dragon, <gasps> except there's an extra Dargan. A, Daragon, uh, which is they just added an A. Yep. Um, so there's a little connection there too. But Maester Amon, he does mention the word dragon is used in the prophecy. And so this is one of the reasons why we probably have a lot of Targaryens who um, believe that they fulfill this prophecy or that why they're so um, so obsessed about it is because after the doom, it's just they're the only dragons left in the world. You know, they're, they're the only ones left. So oh, sort of. I mean, Valarions end up with dragons, Baratheons. It's kind of the Strongs end up with dragons too. It's like, but yes, right, right. But at the time of the Doom, yep. Oh no, Baratheons don't get dragons. I'm stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the time of the Doom, uh, the Valerians did not have dragons, and the reason why the Valerians have those dragons is because of their connection to the Targaryens. Yeah, exactly. I mean. You know, it's it's kind of it's splitting hairs, but you're you're <laughs> definitely right that that Valerians did become dragon lords in a sense. Um, but but yeah. after the doom, they were the only ones left. It's one of those interesting things where it's like we know it now that Targaryens they must have taken the idea that Daenys uh, pref- foresaw the doom, survived it, and sort of internalized it that we are chosen by destiny that kind of thing that they decided afterwards that this must be about themselves. It's like, well, we're the survivors. It must be us. But I wonder what this was like in the Valyrian freehold. Was this like a constant thing where they would like, they'd be boasting like in Shakespearean uh, plays about how their family would be the one to beat back the darkness. Or was it like, was it seen as maybe a joke? Because it doesn't seem like the Valyrians for much of their history were like super interested in the idea of, finding this person that was that would beat back the darkness the hero of legend it seemed like they were more like oh we're just gonna be like a really crappy empire and like destroy the world to make it under our heels right so um if there you know there's of course the theory of the great empire of the dawn so it's connecting Mm -hmm. shy with um with valeria um, but it states that after the long night had ended that all the tribes of men had grown suspicious of one another and had gone their separate ways. And so that's pretty much when we believe that a lot of those different cultures within um, East, I, I'm dyslexic, uh, Eastern Esos. <laughs> that's a tough one to say, yeah. <laughs> East, West, left, right. Okay, mm-hmm. anyway, so within Eastern Esos, you know, um, so like the Jogos Nai, all, all of those different cultures um, probably left um, and went their separate ways. And that's probably the same time that the Valerians did as well. And when you when you think about where they decided to go, it said that the Zorahai will be born again amid salt and smoke. And where did they move? Well, that depends on the story. Like some stories have the Valerians being shepherds that found dragons there. I'm going to do a video on that, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then there's other yeah. stories like uh, we're in the we're going to talk about Barth later. He's like, well, they were. They just made dragons using genetic breeding, essentially. And there's other stories that they right. got them from a shy. It's like, ah, uh, who really knows? Right. 
No, I, I do actually believe that they were shepherds. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Yes, I do. Um, if you take a look at, uh, I, I believe that the Valerians were more of an unintended consequence. Uh, they were used probably to help create dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you take a look at um, the only shepherding society that we have in the series, it's introduced like right in the Game of Thrones. Um, it may actually be instructive as to how the Valerians were originally. Um, what the Lazarine are might be actually a tool in, in a sense because they are originally enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, if, if you, if Valerians were used possibly for that kind of magic and you see what happened to Araya, um, would you want to do that to like your brother or your sister or your neighbor. <laughs> well, <and> there's <laughs> hints of that. And you look yeah. in like um, the region known as Mantaris on the northern side of Valyria. There's lots of stories and it continues to this day that the Mantarans end up with tons of genetic abnormalities, like maybe at least the monstrous style, like extra heads, like bent and twisted. <clears throat> at a much higher rate than everyone else. And that kind of tracks with what the Valyrians did with the rest of their empire. They, they tended to sort of take cities or regions and turn them into like labs to make these things. Like Lys was where they got, um, it, well, it's known for in particular the slavery part that they would make what is known as bed slaves. They would make, um, they would make sex workers essentially in a very, very terrible way. Uh, you have Marine. They were largely used for making, um, slaves that were good in the arena all that other kind of things and it seems like they did the same thing the mantaris you also hear about it down the basilisk isles uh, all this other weird stuff where they com- they co- what's the right word they they made colonies specifically for weird shit like this absolutely and so um when when i take a look at where the valerians actually went they went to a place of smoke and salt Mm-hmm. And um, if you take a look at some possible elements of the Azor High prophecy, it said that King's blood is, you know, used to wake the dragon. We don't know where it's from. I suspect since it's very, very specific um, to the Azor High <coughs> prophecy, it might be there. Um, and then when we look at the freehold, they don't have any kings. Um, they actually are a society that um, is more of a uh, general rule of the of several ruling families so they don't have kings and because mm-hmm. they don't have kings they don't actually have any princes either and so in a way um they may be possibly fearful of of that prophecy and they they may actually try to be fearful of you know the upcoming apocalypse but knowing that it could be occurring that might be why they had chosen Valyria specifically, because it it definitely just like um, Dragonstone. Um, Melisandre is just like that's the place of smoke and salt. Is the, this volcanic island, mm-hmm. you know? That's you know smoke and salt. So Valyria, Dragonstone is like a very, very, very miniature Valyria. <laughs> <laughs> very very my, you know a tiny tiny part that nobody yeah. nobody had before and the targets were like ours and everyone was like sure yeah. i guess yeah. it sucks <laughs> so so they did kind of go to a place of smoke and salt and there's actually theories with uh euron being a zorahai and they actually talk about how valeria could be in a sense a place of smoke and salt and so when i take a look at where the valerians actually settled it, it's it's interesting in that respect 
And it's also interesting how they set up their government with no kings and um, a, a ruling class that doesn't have that type of royalty as well. Emperors, though, they do. They did sometimes have emperors, apparently. Emperor Orion, for instance, after the fall of the of Valyria. And it actually gets to another one of the historical prophecies we know about. And that is this very strange one that uh, Septon Barth mentions about the gold of Casterly Rock in Valyria. Such a such a strange plant for George to put in. I have the quote here. It says <clears throat> the wealth of the Westerlands was matched in ancient times with the hunger of the freehold of Valyria for precious metals. Yet there seems no evidence that the dragon lords ever made contact with the lords of the rock, Casterly or Lannister. Septon Barth speculated on the matter. By the way, Septon Barth knows everything. He's like George's like little like. I'm going to go ahead and in introduce some truths into this. Uh, well, that's how I see him anyway. Uh, referring to the Valyrian text that has since been lost, suggesting that the Freehold sorcerers foretold that the gold of Cashley Rock would destroy them. So even though we're talking about, like, did Valyria even care about that kind of prophecy? Apparently they did. Like, they took prophecy seriously. They avoided entirely this giant gold mine full of guys running around with the swords who they easily could have probably burned out of their own rock if they wanted to with their dragons and said, we're going nowhere near these guys. Absolutely. And um, there are a lot of really good theories that suggest that that um, <clears throat> prophecy probably did occur, that it, that it actually came to fruition. Um, there's, of course, the very, very um, famous um, theory by Lord Too Fat to sit a horse on Westeros.org. And, and he kind of spurred it off. It was shortly after um, the World Book came out and, and everybody was talking about this really bizarre prophecy about the gold of Casterly Rock and how this could possibly be connected. And um, once you start putting everything together, it actually makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, you know, there's, of course, the, the sword Bright Roar that um, the Lannisters did actually paid um, a mountain of gold for They mm. paid a mountain of gold for. And the faceless men talk about how they actually um, gave the gift to the masters in the end. So um, there's a there's a pretty good theory that the money um, used to purchase Bright Roar was used to also um, purchase uh, the services of a faceless man. And uh, everything it's a really great theory. Everything's very well connected. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a couple different like variations of that theory. And um, I, I kind of like one of those variations that I read on Twitter, but um, the basic gist of it is, is very, very solid. So it's, there's a good chance that the gold of Casterly rock did actually cause the doom of Valeria. Something the Valerians are trying very hard to avoid. Uh, this is something that people have actually used to cast doubt on Denise the Dreamer, that maybe she wasn't actually prophetic, that perhaps she and her family and the Targaryens knew of this plot, and that's how they knew to leave in time. Although that kind of goes against the idea of signs importance, which we'll talk about later, the book of her dreams, which seems to be wildly prophetic from what we're told about it. So, I mean, there's there has to be some amount of practicality to it. But I wouldn't be surprised if both are true, that there was a practical reason that the that the Valyrians or somebody called out a hit on Valyria, but also Danny saw it like that. Is the, um, there's also this idea that um, uh, Bookshelf Stud has put forward in the past talking about ripples in the dreamscape. 
even if there was a, a known plot to take out Valyria, that's such a huge event. And the way it seems to work in George's world that when these massive, it's kind of like the force, you know, like when, um, when they destroyed Alderaan and Yoda, like felt and Obi-Wan felt it or something like that. It seems to be like that kind of thing. The doom of Valyria would be such a huge event that people who are tuned into it probably would have saw it coming, even if they don't know the details, like they can, they can be parallel ideas basically. Absolutely. And, um, one of the things that, uh, the doom of Valeria actually, um, uh, produced was that uh, was the uh, tale of Danis the Dreamer mm-hmm. and the legacy of the Targaryen uh, dynasty, and uh, it, it stated that uh, Danis the Dreamer uh, had a vision that the Valyria was going to be destroyed, and so she uh, let her her father know it was Aenar Targaryen, mm-hmm. and um, this is how. Uh, the, the Targaryens were able to survive the doom. They actually moved to Dragonstone and uh, they, her and her family and uh, who's it? Ariane, um, uh, the dragon Lord mm-hmm. over in, where was it? Cohort. It was cohort. Yeah. And then disappeared into the forest never to be seen again. Well, no, he went through the forest and then went to the smoking sea and disappeared. <laughs> well, it, it stated that uh, he gathered an army and co- yep. uh, cohort. Hard to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> he gathered an army in Cohor and uh, they marched down and yep. they were never seen again. Yep. So we're not 100% sure at what point, you know, you know, from, from start to finish where they where they um, were lost, but they they tried to go there and they were never found an entire army. It's hard to lose 40,000 dudes in the middle of Essos. Like, I I know, right? Even the destruction uh, that the Dothraki put across all of what's known as the Dothraki Sea, which used to be um, kingdoms and like merchant republics and that kind of thing. There's still like you could still find skeletons all over the place. Danny sees some when she's crossing the Red Waste. It's like these guys just up and vanished like they went into the Bermuda Triangle or something. Their horses, their armor, every, you know, everything, their wagons. I'm sure they had wagons and other details and everything just gone. Uh, but it is said that Valeria is cursed and that no man uh, <laughs> is able to set eyes on it and, and live. So it's, it's possible the curse of Valeria got Arian the dragon rider. Bummer. Sucks, sucks for you, Orion. You didn't get to be Emperor of Valyria, which there wasn't even Valyria left. So good luck with that one. Um, there's one other written prophecy that really that is one that I've always thought is so odd, and it doesn't really fit much, especially because it concerns the faith of the seven. Um, in George's world, all these religions seem to have maybe some kind of backing to them, where there is magic, you can use it, but the faith of the seven seems to be the one that has none where it seems to be like almost wholly a construct of just people believing in um in higher powers without much reason to and this one comes about with the high septon and aegon the dragon i got the quote here the realm is full of kings for the faith to exalt one above the rest we must be certain 300 years ago an aegon the dragon landed beneath this very hill the high septon locked himself within the starry sept of Old Town and prayed for seven days and seven nights. 
taking no nourishment but bread and water. Also, by the way, connection to Baylor. He's basically pulling a Baylor here. Um, when he emerged, he announced the faith would not oppose Aegon and his sisters, for the crone had lifted up her lamp to show him what lay ahead. If Old Town took up arms against the dragon, Old Town would burn, and the High Tower and the Citadel and the Starry Sep would be cast down and destroyed. Lord High Tower was a godly man. When he heard the prophecy, he kept his strength at home and opened his gates to Aegon when he came. What the hell? What is this one? What do you think about it? Uh, well, part of this is like very practical. It's like, well, Aegon and his sisters landed. They're going to destroy everybody. Everybody knows the stories of Illyria. Like definitely the Citadel would know the stories of Illyria and how it destroyed Essos and everybody they came against. So it's like, well, we don't really want to be absolutely rocked in the same way that, you know, that they did to the Roinar, that they did to the Andals that came before them. And there's like kind of they, obviously the Andals came west fleeing the Valyrians. That's why they ended up fighting the first men. They were pushed west by the Dragon Lords. So it's like it doesn't have to be prophetic. This is just like good advice. Don't fight the dragons. But it's also weird that if it's like why not just present it as a good idea? Why is the faith and the High Septon and Old Town presenting this as a sign from the Seven that you, that they should not fight. It's it's so very strange. Yeah, I I this is one of those ones where I really do believe that um, the it was the High Septon, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, and am I also correct that the High Septon was also related to Lord High Tower at that time? I do not remember that part. <laughs> Well, um, regardless of that, this is one of those um, pieces of information and, and historic pieces that I believe is um, completely uh, a false, like oh. a false prophecy. I do. I, I believe because at that time, um, Aegon had already conquered a, a large swath of um, of Aegon and his, and his sisters had already conquered a large swath. <laughs> of of westeros at that time um they had huge dragons and uh you know do you want to oppose that that's the question (laughs) like like do you want to oppose that um and so i think that the high septon used his faith and his religion and and maybe he did see a, a a vision but after so many days of no food and your subconscious telling you that you don't want to burn to death um (laughs) You know, like, I I think that um, ultimately he probably used his religion and um, his position in order to um, kind of influence others into telling them that this is a God, um, you know, uh, something that that their gods or their God has uh, basically directed them to do. And that way, and it it worked, it saved them, you know, but... Good idea. I'm a little bit skeptical that he actually did see a vision. Um, It's possible that he did, but he had a really, really good motive for saying what he did. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like logical. Don't fight Aegon the dragon. (laughs) Everybody learned that one the hard way. Exactly. So, um, so I, I do believe that it's, this is one of those things where it's like the unreliable narrator. So Mm -hmm. Uh, people are being told what they want to hear and not necessarily what he might or might not have seen. And um, ultimately it did work in uh, either, either case. If, if it was a vision that he did receive, 
um, that's great. And it, and it worked and they were saved. If it would, if he was working solely on his, um, his own desires and wishes and mm-hmm. used his faith as, as part of that, it worked as well. Um, but I, I'm just pretty skeptical, skeptical because Aegon was about to burn them all. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, although it does end up being used sort of as the starting point for the faith opposing Aegon on the grounds of their religion, where they turn it into um, the no incest, the no multiple wives, um, that they are abominations by the faith of the seven. Like you can sort of see that in here where it's they're positioning themselves already as not just like, oh, we don't want to lose our wealth and power to Aegon as he burns us alive. He's putting it as like, by the way, the uh, the faith of the seven are not fans of these guys. Absolutely. And um, and one of those things um, with the high towers, just historically, ever since the sea lion um, and. Uh, uh, the high towers actually came into the reach. The high towers themselves have kind of taken a um, more neutral stance towards war, mm-hmm. and so you will see you will actually see a little bit of a um, uh, of a pattern with the, the high towers not always getting into uh, the warlike um, politics of things and just trying to keep trade open, and that. That was actually one of the reasons why the sea lion um, kind of made that deal with the Reach is to take more of a neutral stance so that they can um, not worry about um, what's beyond their gates and worry mm-hmm. about what's beyond the shores as far as trade is concerned. Definitely. So they, they've historically been um, a little bit of uh, not not as a. Uh, eager to go to battle no they don't but, like going um, to battle they yeah you're definitely right they like holding their essentially what they've been doing it seems like for hundreds of years is letting the gardeners constantly go to war and just hanging back being like is this the time you guys are going to bite it and then we'll become the kings of the reach nope okay well I'll wait for next time like every time the gardeners march somewhere else the high towers are just sitting there going like <laughs> okay maybe Absolutely. Um, so that was that's more the historical look at the and the myths and legends. Um, as I said, you have some very good uh, videos talking about that more in depth. Um, another form that we see with uh, prophecy in the story is the dreamers and seen in flames. So uh, this is where you get Bran. This is where you get Jojen Reed, Jamie Lannister, John, maybe Tyrion, maybe uh, definitely Melisandre. These are characters uh, who are receiving very strange dreams or seeing things in the flames, uh, even Stannis kind of that seem to come true, just like almost never how they think. And, um, some of these are obviously magical characters, Melisandre, um, Bran, Jojen, um, Daenerys even. And some of these are not like Jamie is not considered a magical character, but he seemed to get these very strange, odd prophetic dreams from leaning against the weirwood. John, Obviously is a character steeped in magic, but his dreams of standing on the wall and fighting the others and his dreams of going down into the crypts and what that means for his future as he ends up, you know, dying temporarily, I guess. Um, People are split on Tyrion's dreams. Are they dragon dreams? Are he is it just like fantasies he's making up for himself? Um, You can sort of include Daron the drunkard in this. It's. These are the active ones. These are the ones that are coming in hot. (laughs) 
and George kind of just layers them throughout. And with those other ones we were talking about, there's a lot of historical credence to them. Like if you're talking about Azora High and the Prince that was promised, and even like the Lannister Gold and Valyria, well, those come with like generations of people believing them and trying to make them come true. This is this is more the the raw form of these how characters experience them and how they interact with them. Absolutely. So Morley uh, put a message that oh. she just sent a PayPal no- uh, donation. Oh, okay. Hang on, let me check that. Yes. Well, thank you, Mora. Oh, I see it. I forgot. I I forgot. I put that up there. That was from the um, the stream a few weeks ago. Um, uh, fifty dollars from Mora Lee. It's very very generous, Mora. Thank you uh, for you and Amanda. Just a show of love and support. For all the excellent content, Joe, love both in your Amanda's channels. You both rock. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> way to go, Maura. Um, the thing I find so interesting about the way the characters interact with these is um, I think Danny is the most fascinating way that she receives these dreams and how she reacts to them because you know brand and jojen are sort of being led down this path towards the three-eyed raven they're they're being sent by him you know that's happening jamie you can explain it away as the weirwoods um messing with his head john and Tyrion. those could just be they don't have to be prophetic they don't have to be real ones but danny's the one especially when she dreams of the dragons before they start showing up when she's seeing drogon before he hatches even later uh, you can say some are sent by Quaith, maybe by Glass Candle, but especially her reaction to them and how it kind of warps her view on the world is something I th- I'm going to make a video about in the future um, in particular. But it's uh, th- this is the part that um, I really love about George Atusha prophecy, that they aren't just storytelling mechanics. They aren't just hints for future plots, basically. He's not like dropping little breadcrumbs for you to follow to his eventual ending. He's making them impact and um, and mess with his character's minds in real time. Like Danny, without those dreams, is a very different person. Absolutely, because she's very um, she's very paranoid. It, it actually sows a lot of uh, paranoia and discourse into kind of her psyche. Um, because she's, um, given some of these visions and some of these visions, um, you know, uh, she's, you know, they're, they're very, um, accurate, but at the same time, um, the undying ones are, are giving her information that isn't very specific. And she, they're saying somebody's going to betray you. Actually, three people are going to betray Mm -hmm. you. You know, you're going to have to light three fires. It's it's very very ambiguous, and um, it, she spends a lot of time wondering. You know, what could this mean? What could that mean? Um, and, and it really does play with her kind of psyche and her subconscious, and it sows a lot of paranoia within her character. And without the the undying prophecy, she would be a much different character. Um, but but now she she is a little bit more. Um, untrusting mm-hmm. and she's a little bit unsure of herself and of others and that was actually one of the mad kings um uh 
issues during his reign is he had that whole, um, it was the, um, over in Duskendale, it sowed a lot of paranoia into mm. him and, and it, it probably should. Um, <laughs> I mean, you take get ca- captive for like what a year. Yeah. I would be paranoid too afterwards. Yeah, I'd, I'd be paranoid too. But, um, but, but that it was that paranoia that, that really got to him and, and, um, and he probably had some other underlying issues and, uh, he was probably sadistic before that, but, um, but it, this is one of the reasons why he didn't trust Rhaegar. It, it's one of the reasons why he didn't trust a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, he just had a lot of, of paranoia that sewed in. And um, I don't think the Duskendale really helped anything. So, uh, People in the chat are, are talking about Cersei in this light. And there's, oh, yeah. there's evidence that she was already a sadistic and mean. She was cruel to Tyrion from the day she was born, but from the day he was born. But also the the inclusion of the Maggie the Frog prophecies about um, how she would not marry the prince, she would marry the king and the golden shrouds and the younger, more beautiful queen that will cast her down has really in really pushed forward what was already underlying. Like uh, some people have actually said they don't like the Maggie the Frog prophecies because it's it sort of tries to give reason to why Cersei is the way she is. It's like. Uh, like kind of George backfilling that it's like, why is she like this? Well, Maggie, the frog was like, no, she was like this beforehand, but it is very much an idea that um, is true for a lot of characters that when they see these things, they never forget them. Unfortunately, they, it starts small, little things come true and they're like, wait, what if it's all true? Absolutely. And especially with the Maggie, the frog prophecy, it was incredibly accurate. Yeah. So, um, the chances are that uh, some sort of Valencar, either literal or metaphoric, you know, is going to be wrapping their literal or metaphoric hands around Cersei, <laughs> literal or metaphoric neck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, super chat here from uh, Moral Lee. Uh, she's on a roll today. Uh, $25, she says, for the hat. So if you guys don't know what we're talking about, um, I have a funny wizard hat up here. Hang on. Let me see if I could see this. Um I have a Gandalf hat sitting right up here and I have a Gurm hat right here. And uh, for the last few streams, just for funsies and also to get people to like the videos, I've been like, uh, you, we get to a certain amount of likes, I'll put one on. So we're doing that again today. Um, let's go for, we're at 100 likes right now. 101, I see. Uh, 202 people watching. Thank you all very much for spending your Saturday with us. Um, we get that to 150 likes. I will put on that silly Gandalf hat. Although Aaron M and Courtney Maza are saying that that's a shame because I apparently have a good hair day today. So thanks. Yeah, your hair is looking quite lovely today. <laughs> uh, but so that's what Morley is talking about. Um, uh, and then there's a few that were, and then there's the type of prophecies that were told to characters from that were not seen from their own POV. We have Miri Mazdor. We were talking about Daenerys. She internalizes Miri Mazdor throughout the rest of her story. She never stops thinking about um, her as a betrayal. And then thinking about the prophecy about uh, she asked when she will see Drogo again. And Miri says, when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, when the seas go dry, the mountains blow in the wind like leaves. When your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return, not before. And Danny has taken that to mean she will never get pregnant again. And she actively tells people that <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah. it, it just won't happen. I got this prophecy. So uh, it just can't. Uh, there's also the undying, which we also talked about again, messing with Danny's head. Like George is using prophecy to mess with Danny's head more than almost any other character. 
It is constant battering her psyche that prophetic things and magical things are trying to like, I don't trying to push her in ways that, um, she probably wouldn't go on her own. Um, then we also, uh, Quaith is also a big part of this. Quaith is a massive influence on her. Uh, people think she has a glass candle. Um, she definitely appears in her dreams. Uh, she appears at one point in Marine and then disappears, appears on a boat then disappears. So she's doing something weird. <laughs> yeah, she definitely is. Um, let's see here. We also have uh, ghost of high heart who we talked about with her extremely accurate prophecies. She sees like months worth of action happening when she talks to the brotherhood without banners. Um, and then there's of course the children of Makar who seem to be kind of like the Starks and their direwolves. The children of Makar and dragon dreams and prophecy are like, like tight. They are like this. They are, <laughs> they cannot escape it. Uh, Daron the drunkard obviously has the strongest power. We see it in the hedge knight literally sees the outcome of Baylor's death coming. Um, egg. Um, there's a quote from Eamon where he says, my brothers dreamed of dragons, every one and it destroyed them. Um, we know that Darren also saw dragons coming. He dreamed of it. Egg believes that Eamon describes his own dreams of seeing dragons. It's unclear if those are the prophetic ones, but uh, these are the main sources of prophecy coming at characters, I would say, that are not being seen live. So we don't actually know what like Daron saw. We don't know what the ghost of Highheart saw or even like Quaith or Miri, but we know how they're describing it to characters. Yeah, and, and often with these, um, specifically with the Ghost of High Heart, she sees things as people as their sigils. So like the woman is a fish, uh, she sees the kraken, um, the faceless man is a man without a face, but then there's like a crow mm -hmm. that... Uh, Drowned crow. Yeah, a drowned crow with seaweed. Um, she the, the visions that she does have for the most part are... Um, very, very uh, metaphoric and symbolic, mm -hmm. and you see them as they would. Um, you would see their like sigil or what represents their house or them. And so, one of the things that um, my tin foil is with Melisandra because everybody wonders why Melisandra Stan is getting all these visions of Stannis as um, Azora High. You know, especially if. Um, the visions Rolora is giving her are at least somewhat accurate, um, even if she's not interpreting them that correctly. Mm -hmm. And so my tinfoil is if Azura High is um, actually in the prophecy of Dragon, as uh, Maester Eamon is saying, then it's possible what she's seeing is a dragon uh, or a three-headed dragon over in Dragonstone. And so... Um, Stannis being of the blood in, in a sense, as um, Mr. Eamon points out, and as uh, Robert points out, and as Stannis even points <laughs> out, they, they are related to the Targaryens. They do yep. have the blood. So if Melisandre were to also see this in a more metaphoric sense and see like a dragon or a three-headed dragon over in Dragonstone, because she's very, very specific in stating that Dragonstone is the place of smoke and salt as well. Um, if she sees that, if that's her vision, then that might explain why um, why she interprets it as Stannis is if she gets more of a metaphoric vision rather than an actual vision of his face. Um, 
because if say Danny goes um, and takes over Dragonstone or, um, you know, <coughs> she may actually be seeing a vision of possibly Danny, maybe even John, we're not sure, but this might actually um, rationalize how Melisandre is so certain that Stannis is Azora High because she may actually be seeing like a vision of a dragon or a three-headed dragon mm-hmm. rather than um, his actual face. And Melisandre seems to be kind of the poster child for what not to do in George's world. <laughs> um, when we see the ghost of Highheart and and we see kind of Daron too. Um, well, Daron is an example of how not to do it, but the ghost of Highheart does not tell the Brotherhood of the Banners, this means this, this means this, this is what will exactly happen. She just says the imagery and then it's up to them to figure out what it means. The imagery is always right. Like this, this is a defined thing in this world. It's absolutely true, but the interpretations are where you go super wrong. Like Daron, his whole thing with the hedge knight, the reason that he even meets Dunk, the reason Dunk ends up going and meeting Aang and, and Baylor ends up dying is because Daron thought the dragon dying was him. So he was trying to run from it. And that's how he meets Dunk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So by avoiding it, you make it happen. That seems to be the, the overwhelming problem with prophecy is that like the only way to, you, you kind of have to get out of its way. <laughs> Basically, that's what George is telling his characters and none of them seem to sort of get it. Absolutely. There's, um, this, uh, when I talk about Baylor the Blessed, I have that entire video where I talk about Baylor the Blessed and prophecy. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I discuss is um, there's these two parallel myths. One is of Baylor and his daughter, and, and another is actually of King Acrisius. I think it was Acrisius. It was Acrisius and his daughter who eventually um, gave birth to Perseus. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a prophecy stating that um, that his daughter was going to become pregnant and that the, the son or his grandson, you know, the son of his daughter, uh, that that child would eventually would one day kill him. Mm-hmm. So he locks her up so that she can't have sex and she gets pregnant anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, hey, he. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same thing happened with uh, the Baylor and Celtic mythology. Same thing. Prophecy tried to prevent it. And it, it happened anyway. So what happened? So what had happened was um, the uh, uh, he sent them away because Kinslaying was accursed in, in that culture as well, and he didn't want to kill his grandson. So he sent them away, and he ended up attending a tournament, like a an like an Olympic type tournament. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess his uh, his uh, grandson threw a discus and and killed him. Whoops. Uh, that way, when he was attending the attorney uh, that he... Yeah. And that, that's a constant theme in Greek myths, um, that the fates exist. You can ask them whatever you want. You just never should. But everyone does, because they think they're, they're smarter than fate. Not exactly true. Um, let's see here. Guilty Undertaker in the chat. They're talking about Duncan Egg and the Mystery Knight. And he says, as Bloodraven put it, the fool got the color wrong when he's talking about Damon. And uh, which dragon would rise? And he's like, oh, well, well, it's egg. But it wasn't. Damon thought it was right. himself. And it's that seems to be the like even Bloodraven's <laughs> attitude to, to it was like, Damon, why'd you even try, man? Like, of course, you were going to get it wrong. Everybody does. There's no point to it. Absolutely. But everyone does. And even uh, we have our the 
probably the biggest person in the current story that believes in it and his decisions about this have influenced everything afterwards we have Rhaegar Targaryen wow did he get things wrong he but did. maybe not he got, he got it wrong at first he got it wrong at first uh him and Aemon uh sent each other a bunch of letters because Rhaegar went into his scrolls as Barristan calls it read something and then just said I must be a warrior. And then we learn later what that actually meant was he thought he was Azor High reborn. He was the prince that was promised. Then somebody told, then he got together with somebody. I'm assuming it was Aemon, but you never know. It may have been uh, Marwyn, may have been reading more scrolls. He's like, okay, well, it's not me. I'm not the prince that was promised, but it'll be my kids. It'll be my son. Uh, wait, no, no I, now I need, I need three kids. It's not just one kid. Azor has three people. The dragon has three heads. And it's like uh, just a, a list of Rhaegar going like, I think it's this. Absolutely wrong. Let me try again. Yes. Yeah. And um, and so we don't ever know where the concept of the dragon having three heads comes from. Nope. Um, it's possible it came from a dream. Um, it's possible it comes from the Azor High prophecy itself. We're never actually ever told. But um, one thing that we know is that Maester Aemon is aware of it, and he was obviously in um, conversation and in correspondence with Rhaegar. Uh, Barristan mentions it, I think, and uh, well, no, Aemon, Aemon actually mentions it, um, that uh, they were in correspondence, yes. right? Uh, Aemon says they yeah. wrote to each other. Yes. And uh, so they were in correspondence. So that was probably a, a discussion point that they had, you know, trying to figure out. Um, but we we really don't know where the three heads comes from. But the Undying are also mention it, mm -hmm. which is very interesting as well. Um, but one thing that people don't know about, and I'm going to talk about this in a later video, okay. is the um, uh, pre-release Tyrion 2 of A Dance with Dragons. And uh, you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, do you mean um, okay. the, the Shrouded Lord part? Well, no. Okay. Um, so so uh, George read Tyrion 2 at a convention. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's synopsis that are available on Westeros.org. Um, there's a couple of them, and they both um, kind of... It's not word for word, but there's just a general synopsis. Um, but anyway... Uh, the synopsis do of different attendees kind of line up. And so uh, one of the things mentioned by Illyrio is the dragon has three heads mm -hmm. and it's talking about um, Aegon, uh, their fake Aegon or Aegon yeah. Griff. He's talking about young Griff. Yeah. Um, and uh, because they're saying, Oh, we got to hurry. We got to hurry. And uh, in in the uh, synopsis, he replies to them, there is no need to worry. The dragon has three heads. And um, <laughs> yeah. so, so what he's saying is that, in a sense, uh, we don't have to worry because the prophecy is going to fulfill itself. And one of the interesting things that people are very confused about is why Illyrio gave Danny the dragon eggs. Like, did he know that she was going to... Um, to hatch them and why give her all three of them mm. i mean one dragon one dragon egg is priceless right yeah one dragon egg alone will you know will buy an army right so why did he give her three 
Um, and uh, and why why is he putting so much stock into her if he believes that um, Aegon is going to be conquering Westeros? Why put so much stock into Danny and give her th- give her these eggs when he he has a, a completely different plan that has you know the, the two seem quite actually separate in a sense and if he is aware of the Azor High imprints that was promised prophecy as well and the dragon having three heads that would actually um, make sense on a narrative standpoint and so that was taken out of Tyrion 2 of the Dance mm-hmm. of Dragons it was actually heavily revised and so his initial intent for Tyrion 2 of Dance with Dragons is for Illyrio to reply to somebody who's telling him to hurry up. There's no like there's no need to hurry because the dragon has three heads. This is like a constant problem with Illyrio though. Like every time someone talks to him, his plans are different. Like George makes a joke out about one point where the Golden Company are talking about Illyrio, and it's like, oh, he changes the fat man changes his plans when the moons turn. Um, George oh, who, mm-hmm. like if you actually try and track Varys and Illyrio's plans for Viserys, Young Griff, and Danny, they kind of don't make sense. Like, especially with the inclusion of Young Griff coming later. It's like, well, no. Okay, so this was all for Viserys. That was what the, the thing with Doran was for. It's like, oh, no, no, it's actually for Young Griff. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, and like you say, why give the eggs to Danny? It's uh, who knows. It's uh, I, I have trouble figuring it out. A lot of people have trouble figuring out a lyrics yeah. and Varus. Um, who knows what they even want? And especially I think in that speech, they mentioned Blackfire, right? Blackfire comes up. No, oh, is that a different um, one. It, the word Blackfire isn't mentioned. Instead, um, there are some items within a chest. Ah, uh, yes. And, um, Tyrion is like getting all like into the conversation, and so <laughs> then, uh, one person whispers. There, Illyrio's like whispering, and they Tyrion is, and they do it in um, one of the bastard Valerian of the Free Cities. I think uh, maybe Valentine. I'm not sure, but um, anyway, so they is talking a uh, Valerian um, dialect and. Mm-hmm. The words and they whisper it. So the words that Tyrion is able to make out are sword. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. And what was, I can't remember what the third one was. Uh, the third word was that he could uh, make out. It, somebody help us out in the chat if they know. Who knows what the man is talking about? What's the third word? What's the third word? <laughs> uh, but and, and that's actually what really spurred on is crown. crown. Thank you, Patrick. Patrick James Where has you go, Patrick. There. Okay. And so those three, those, specifically the sword mm-hmm. um, part is what really spurred on um, the fake Aegon theories. And there were some fake Aegon theories before that, obviously. But when the the uh, pre-released um, reading of Tyrion to of a Dance with Dragons occurred, because what other sword would they be talking about? I mean, the, there's not a lot of options for why Illyrio and oh and he says there's something I must tell Aegon there's something he must know and but we don't know what it is but he's very very adamant about telling him something very important Mm. Um, but he never gets the opportunity and uh, so and he's talking about this special sword that is is going to be given to Aegon and and, uh, the and the theories, um, the people that did the analysis of that, it's actually pretty good. Um, so you want to take a um, look at it? Go ahead. Oh, um, 
the Bebborn Gagnet. Um, I I probably just destroyed your name. He asked what the second word was. He didn't hear. Um, so the second word. Um, so the words were um, queen, sword, and crown. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. So, um, but yeah. So, so that's cut kind of what really got the fake Aegon um, fires going, and that's one of the reasons why that. Um, chapter was so revised is because it just gave too much it gave the reader too much and so he seriously revised it and so um you know there's there's some hints you know there's some um flavors of the original but it's it's heavily revised so um get the opportunity i guess take a look uh but that kind of feeds back though into the um the ideas of prophecy we've been talking about is that like george does not want to give stuff away like mm-hmm. it's obtuse on purpose. It's unclear on purpose. And whatever you think it will be is probably not what it will, it will be like, you know, the same way that Rhaegar and Aemon and Aemon, like the smartest character currently probably alive, continually swings and whiffs at these theories and trying to sort them out is sort of George winking at you and saying like, man, don't even try. I'll get there and I'll get there. It will make sense looking backwards, but you don't know what I'm going to do. And, um, like Ray, I mean, there's no bigger example than Rhaegar. He, it turns out he may have accidentally created Azora High after failing like three times in Jon Snow. Um, who knows if it's unclear if, if that was on purpose. What was he doing with Lyanna? These are all very sh- large questions that we don't have answers to about what exactly his plans were. But it's clear that Rhaegar ha- has a very low batting average for figuring these things out. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about why why Rhaegar needed Lyanna? Because I, I have, I've got some thoughts. Uh, the Pact of Ice and Fire. Well, go, here, go ahead and, and uh, give. Do you, if you have some thoughts, I want to hear them. Uh, so, uh, there there are theories that Rhaegar, for some reason, was trying to fulfill the Pact of Ice and Fire, which was made between Rhaenyra and I think Cregan Stark at the time. Um, where Prince Jaceres went up to Winterfell and for his loyalty and his support in the war, it was promised that I believe they would send a a Targaryen princess to marry a Stark. Never ended up happening. Uh, That's what happened, right? Yes. Although in, in the recent Fire and Blood that has been upped to the point that now there are rumors that Jace married Sarah Snow and sort of the Pact of Ice and Fire happen but it's when we look at Rhaegar in the house of the undying um and the the visions that are being shown to Danny it seems to be leading more to this way that Rhaegar's breakthrough if he had one seemed to be linking the idea of ice and fire and he says it he says um he is the prince I was promised his he has a song it's a song of ice and fire it somehow he somehow put together that the the Starks in the north and the Targaryens need to join um, if that's, if that's what he was doing, don't know where he got it. Like maybe from the ghost of high heart, it seems like he was, um, hanging out with her in summer hall, learning songs to strung on his harp, like the, um, sad emo boy that he is. Um, I, I, th- I think that's the reason that nobody else knows what Rhaegar is talking about because he seems to have something else. He seems to have put together something else that nobody else has. And George has kept it off the screen. Yeah, 
So, um, and that's very interesting because that's one of the very few times where you see like, you know, ice and fire together in, in such a very, you know, like profound way. Mm-hmm. It's actually within that union itself. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed when I was doing my research is there are hints of this um, possible special union being prophesied. Um, we, we hear of the stallion that mounts the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason why they go to Vase Dothrock is because it's believed that the marriage between uh, Danny and Cal Drogo is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Mm-hmm. And that's why she has to eat the horse heart to make sure the prophecy is right. And the Dash, Dash Queen are like, yes, the prince is writing. The prophecy is fulfilled. <laughs> but, um, but there's, there's hints. And I'm, trying to watch the chat while I'm doing that. <laughs> anyway, so my phone just got in the, the thing. I'm not trying to take a selfie or anything. Um, not this time. But uh, no. And that's why I'm looking down. Um, but uh, so, so there's that Dothraki prophecy, but then when Danny is in um, Marine and uh, when she's down in Marine, she is talking with the green grace and she is suggesting, I think it was his star. Uh, you know, marry his star and the prophecies, this marriage, you know, the dragon wedding, the harpy, the prophecies will be fulfilled and your um, enemies will melt away like snow. Mm. And so the dragon that or the, the stallion that mounts the world is a very, um, it, people make a lot of um, interesting parallels to the Azora high prophecy. Of course, it's like a um, somewhat apocalyptic, somewhat messianic, um, you know, uh, figure and then we hear uh, of one where the the harpy was the dragon and uh, the prophecies will be fulfilled and then we have euron and he is um discussing um finding danny because he needs to marry her and he says when the kraken was the dragon let all the world be- beware and when we take a look at aaron's prophetic shade of the evening dream he's talking about that comet and he mm-hmm. is making some some claims and about that comment about it being the sign and that the world shall be broken and remade and he's making a lot of the same comments that sound very similar to what Bonero is saying yeah for a high prophecy so he's talking about a dragon or excuse me he's talking about the comet he's talking about some things that are very similar to what Bonero is saying he's talking about the kraken wedding the dragon so it's there's possible um uh this almost like monomythic prophecy and maybe it's included in the azor high prophecy we're continually continuously getting uh, more information um but uh anyway there's a hint that there may be something about a special union yeah and so when Rhaegar sees liana it's possible that um he believes that he has found um whoever he needs to marry to fulfill this prophecy. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure they loved each other too. Like, you know, I, I want to be all like gushy and goopy and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, think that it was, that love. but, but I, I think that he looked at her, he probably looked at that weirwood um, sigil that she has and, and uh, possibly the dire wolf. Um, but something about her bloodline might have actually clicked because we see, um, prophecy about somebody marrying the the dothraki marrying a dragon queen um the harpy and the dragon wedding we have euron who's very fixated about the the bleeding star 
and he's talking about the Kraken wedding the dragon. So it's possible that prophecy that um, maybe put him over the edge in uh, pursuing Leanna. That's true. The um, those are really good points. The other thing I always like thinking about is that the only reason they met is because Howland Reed spends a huge amount of time on the file on the Isle of Faces, walks out, goes to the tourney at Harrenhal, gets beat up in front of Liana. And it's hard not to think about that. Their meeting, Rhaegar and Liana's meeting, they have been engineered by, you know, the children of the forest through Jojen Reed, maybe Bloodraven, in order to make sure that they ran into each other. And I imagine that the, um, their feelings for each other came before the prophetic parts because Rhaegar and Lyanna don't run away for quite a long time afterwards. Yes. And it's, it's said that, um, Lyanna's attraction to Rhaegar was based around his harp playing that he made her cry when he played. So it would be kind of funny. Well, I don't know if funny is the right word, but it would be an unusual way for the Azor High prophecy to come true where Rhaegar, who is desperately trying to make it come true, thinks it's him, thinks it's his children. And then the children of the force essentially shove it at him in a way he didn't expect. And then afterwards, he's like, oh, well, I figured it out. It must be Lyanna. Meanwhile, Blood Raven is rolling his eye. <laughs> you got to like flash her in front of him. Yeah, like it's this <laughs> like, one right here. <laughs> No, 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 no. Not, not Elia. Liana. I said Liana, Liana. not Elia. Come on, Rhaegar, get it together, man. Oh, that's hilarious. Absolutely. And you know, it, it was also uh, Ares's, um, uh, his, his paranoia that also played into that meeting as well, mm-hmm. because Ares was just, you know, convinced it was one of his enemies um, <laughs> that was going to you know, that was trying to make a mock of him or do something. And so he commanded Rhaegar go after her. So, it, you know, it's some of that planted paranoia as well, which yeah. is um, quite interesting. Uh, so one thing I wanted to go into quickly, by the way, we're only 25 away from me putting on a silly hat. If you're in the chat, you haven't hit like, please do so. Um, that Gandalf hat will come on, which will be awesome. Kind of. It's kind of hot. It's a hot hat. But anyway, uh, so one thing I want to talk about was two videos we did in the past, um, the Pyres and Blood video I did and the Baylor, the Blessed video that you did. And these were ones that we did together talking about well, sort of together. It was based around the same idea, but we approached it from different angles. And it was basically the idea that the Targaryens are obviously in the story linked to prophecy and magic. But we were basically saying it's far more deep in the Targaryen monarchs than anyone realizes that even the ones that aren't uh, obviously about prophecy where you have Rhaegar and you have Ares the first are basically the big ones. But it seems like almost all of them were had access to these prophecies and scrolls at some level. If even if it wasn't them, it may have been their children like Makar doesn't seem that that into this this much, but his children definitely were. Um, definitely Aemon. And that it seems like a lot of their choices were based around this. I mean, even even the really strange ones, like when you look back and you're like, what the hell was Baylor the Blessed doing? Your theory is that um, he had found that well, the fact that he burned a natural history is the thing that kicks it off for you, right? Um, there's a lot of things. I just I saw a lot of parallels. Um, like I said, um, he, 
there's two myths and they're almost like mirror myths with um, King Acrisius and Baylor, uh, Baylor's mm-hmm. of Celtic mythology. And basically um, King Acrisius, he hears a, a prophecy that um, his daughter is going to have a son and that son will, will one day kill him. Yep. So uh, he locks her up so that she can't have sex, but instead uh, she gets pregnant anyway. And uh, she begets uh, Perseus, and one day Perseus does kill King Acrisius. Yep. Now, and and her name was Danae. And in um, uh, Celtic mythology, Baylor, same thing. He hears a prophecy: his daughter is going to have a son. So Baylor locks up his daughter, and what happens? She gets pregnant anyway, and she um, gives birth, and that son one day does kill Baylor. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with the story of Baylor the Blessed in the Maiden Vault, what he does is he um, locks up his sisters. It, because he doesn't want them to have sex is what we're told with him. and um well with anybody <laughs> he, he wants a, a court of beauty so that yeah. uh, they are not uh, tempting anybody with their beauty so that they're not having sex and so what happens anyway is dana gets pregnant um even though she's locked up and she begets um damon blackfire who will yeah. one day rise up and rebel and cause you know generations of you know just strife and a, a lot of bad stuff for the targaryen family so in one tale we have um baylor locking up his daughter and in what the other tale we have danae being imprisoned okay so dana targaryen is spelled a uh, d-a-e-n-a and danae is d-a-n-a-e so basically the they're spelled the same except there's like two letters that change. So um, anyway, so we have uh, basically a huge shout out to that mm-hmm. myth within the tale of Baylor the Blessed and the Maiden Vault. And because what happens is Dana is in prison. She gets pregnant anyway. And we have um, a horrible, re- well, a at least for the Targaryen family, something that is you <laughs> well, know, for everybody. a real bad thing. Nobody a bad was thing happy happened. about Damon's rebellion. It, it ended up being pretty bad. Um, yeah, it was pretty bad. So, um, so it, so when I looked at that, I said, "Well, if you know, Baylor heard the prophecy and King Acrisius did too, um, what are the chances that Baylor the Blessed acted on prophecy?" Pretty high. And then you, yeah. yeah. And then when you look at all the really weird things that he did throughout his mm-hmm. uh, his reign, like he um, made a boy who could talk to ravens, the High Septon. Tried to replace and, the ravens uh, with uh, doves. Tried to, yes, he tried to replace the ravens with doves. Uh, he did. He um, made all the uh, uh, sex workers in King's Landing. Um, he outlawed them. He did a lot of different things. And when you take a look at some of the things that are kind of um, interesting in like the current timeline, we have like Bran, who's a character mm-hmm. it, when we're, when he's introduced is about the same age as the boy that he um, had elevated to the, the, um, the role of high Septon. Um, for instance, he gave out uh, bread for an entire year to every single family in King's Landing. And he, he um, emptied the coffers to do so for uh, the, the Targaryens. Uh, he, he basically made them go broke, giving everybody bread. And then in the present timeline, you have the bread riots. 
yep. that uh, were, were a huge thing um, over in King's Landing. You have a lot of different things. When you take a look at them, he might have actually been influenced by other things. Um, he just didn't understand them. He couldn't interpret them. No, and so, a lot of swings and misses from Baylor, it seems like. And when you take a look at um, a natural history, mm. a natural history is um, something very interesting. Maester Eamon wants it right on his deathbed. Um, Which I always found was interesting. Like, does that mean he thinks he has it? Does he does he have it at one time? He asked Sam for it. It's it, it's, it, it's unclear. If Sam actually read him that book, but it's mm-hmm. also a throwback to Jaharis the first who did the same thing on his deathbed. He wanted uh, a natural history read to him. So I think that he did leave a copy at the wall because he did visit the wall. Yeah. Um, I think that he left a copy at the wall. And I do think the Septon Barth might have known about the prophecy as well because um, he was kept in charge of uh, the books and records of the Red Keep. Mm-hmm. And um, he would have been privy to basically all the reading materials that would be available there. And um, I, I find it interesting that Jaharis made, um, of course, Septon Barth was brilliant. Uh, why wouldn't you? But he um, quickly made this guy that he found in the Red Keep, you know, tending his books, his his Hand of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's stated in the World Book that his use of certain terms have a more um, esoteric meaning, meaning that uh, um, it means that it has a deeper meaning than what it uh, to certain people. Like it's almost like a hidden message. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might be why um, people are asking it to be read to them on their deathbed, especially Maester Eamon, who's very, very um, fixated on Azora High and the prince that was promised. Um, so I, I, I'm very suspicious on what um, he might have known. And what might have been put into that book and why these people are wanting it read on their deathbed. And when we take a look at the present timeline, um, Tyrion has found like a few copies of it or a few pages and he's on his way to Danny. Yep. So uh, Marwan, the important yeah. parts. No, I think it's Tyrion. He um, read it. He mentioned that he read it a couple pages um, Marwin found a couple pages from oh, signs uh, the importance. Book of, you're right, you're signs right. importance. Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. different so but weird that, books. Yeah, different but weird books. Important books. Mm-hmm. Anybody who reads or is bookish and to you know be very suspicious of them uh, because they might know something. Um, but uh, yeah, and so he has read three pages of Dragons, Worms, and Wyverns. There in natural history, and he's on his way to Danny, and. Um, so he might be able to give Danny whatever information he Eamon was trying to give Sam. Mm, that's all. That's always the. It's it's not just weird esoteric history. It ends up coming up in the real time. Like the thing about Baylor that I always found so strange. And when you started talking about it, it's that let's say he did read on natural history, right? Uh, the full name, as you said, is dragons, worms and wyverns, the unnatural history. That's from the title. You think it would just be about 
like literally the origins of the dragons. But when you hear the way people react to reading it, like Baylor's reaction, if he had it, and since he burned it, is like, well, I'm going to lock up my daughters. I mean, my sisters. And it's like, wait, how did that come up? And then you look at like the 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 ravens and the dove thing. And that's also something Septon Barth talked about. Like, what was that doing in a natural history? Uh, he went to the wall to Castle Black and he ended up um, doing a lot of research there. And he said that a lot of his information came from lost books up there, basically. And yeah. not, and it goes even weirder than that. It's Baylor was also trying to hatch dragons. He prayed over them. He wanted the eggs to come back, but then he's also locking up his sisters. And it's like, wait, what, you, what did you hear, Baylor? Like, what is this information you're going to? And I like thinking of it in terms of like, an inversion of what happened. I think it was Jaharis the second when the Woods Witch told him that his that um the Azor High or the prince that was promised would come from the line of Rayella and uh Ares, he goes, Oh well, of course now I'll, I must marry them. It's almost it's like someone told Baylor that same thing. It's like, well, from the union of Dana and you, or one of your sisters and you, like the destruction of the Targaryens will happen. He's like, well. I got to avoid that then lock them up. It's absolutely. It's so and you strange. know, Aries, Aries II, who was very, very bookish and was said to read a uh, prophecy. Bookish. Yeah. Bookish. And he's said that he spent all this time um, reading prophecy, made blood raven, his hand of the king and uh, egg mentions in, um, I think it was the hedge night. Mm-hmm. Um, might, it might've been one of the dunk, other Duncan eggs, but he says that, uh, um no it was the mystery night but either way um Aegon mentions that Ares read about the return of dragons in a prophecy and that's what the Azor Ahai prophecy is about is the return of dragons so he's probably reading the Azor Ahai prophecy and Ares the second refused to consummate his marriage as well so Ares the first um, right Ares yeah Ares the first yeah I, I get them the Ares <laughs> they're both kind of kind of nuts they're both kind of weird (laughs) yeah but uh yeah he also refused to um you know lay with his wife as well and many people you know say that well maybe he didn't like women maybe he liked men and that's why he Hmm. didn't consummate his marriage and that maybe that's the case it could be but um knowing that he also read the prophecy and was very into it i i suspect that he may have been trying to guide um, where he believed the prince that was promised was going to uh, be coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Robert from Indeep Deep is actually kind of working on, on that. It's the bloodline of Azora High and how um, there we started with so many Targaryens and we it was whittled down very, very quickly. Um, yeah, he blames to, it all on Blood Raven that it was like a, a yeah. planned destruction of the family. When in doubt, blame, uh, blame. That's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, when in doubt, blame Blood Raven. That, that's, I think you but, could rename uh, his series that. It could just be Blame Blood Raven. <laughs> yeah, that's so Blood Raven. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but he was kind of, um, he's kind of talking about how that may, um, that, there may be some some people that are working towards um, making sure that the line of Azor Hyde it becomes the way it is, and uh, he's he's kind of um, 
working on that at the, I don't, I don't know if he's going to have more in the series or not, but, um, but it, it's an interesting, um, video if you guys want to take a look. Yeah. Um, I tend to disagree with the idea that blood Raven is like systematically causing the Targaryens to self-destruct in order to make this perfect union. Uh, like the, the history and the story of, of prophecy in this book, in these books is that literally no one gets it right. So the idea that blood Raven would be the one that has the correct interpretation. And then he's engineering like a hundred years of history to get to this one point. Like, I don't, I, that doesn't seem like something that's probably going to happen. I tend to think it's more the individuals like scattershotting themselves. Like when you look at Baylor and then you look at Jaehaerys the second and you look at Ares and you look at the other Ares and you look at Rhaegar, it all seems like they're working from the same base knowledge and they're all just like completely misinterpreting it wildly. And I agree on that, but would you agree with me that Blood Raven with the powers or the um, abilities that he does have probably knew that Egg was going to succeed as king? Not at the time. You don't I, think so? No. I, I'm, mm, it, it seems, I don't know. I, I would have to see more. It doesn't seem like that's in him to like systematically make sure that the Targaryens in front of Egg died in order to get there. Like, especially because. No, I'm not saying that he like, how can you cause the great? How can you cause a disease? I yeah. mean, I don't think that he has that in his power, but I do believe that he knew because you can't change the future at least no. maybe brand can weird time warp something but uh not really <laughs> you can't change the future but he did he probably had knowledge you know of the future and he probably had knowledge of of egg one day succeeding is what i'm trying to say yeah. um but no like he can't i i don't foresee blood raven causing the great spring sickness and that's one of the huge things that actually caused that that kind of yeah. bottleneck was the great spring sickness but um <laughs> skeptical amanda yeah. <laughs> carl <laughs> oh. but um but i do believe that he probably knew a little bit about what was going on mm -hmm. and i think that that's why um uh he kind of uh did not worry so much or not worry I, that's not a good word to use um I, I i believe that that's why he um acted the way that he did whenever um they were at white walls toward dunk and toward egg and um he and dunk was able to continue um you know egg was able to continue squaring for dunk because dunk put egg in a completely terrible situation, a situation that could have killed him. Um, it could have killed Egg, and it, it was, and it looked really bad. I mean, they were there at a event that was meant to um, cause an, another Blackfire uprising, mm -hmm. and they didn't know what was going on, and they actually helped the whole situation. But um, them allowing uh donk to continue on as they did is is quite interesting um and i don't know robert also has another good video about you know bunk dunk's role in uh summer hall and i i do think that he had knowledge um not only of you know everything going on but i i think that blood raven 
just like the undying probably knew what is going on because why have somebody who's able to kind of like know all and see all with a thousand eyes in one if you know so i i don't know i I think that he probably knows more than he than we actually realize i tend to think it goes the other way that uh blood raven falls in line with everybody else even the undying who knows so very much and it ends up blowing up in their faces but anyway so um a super chat here from john moore he said he lolled at that so blood raven <laughs> uh, five dollars thank you so much john um so one thing i wanted to wanted to get to before we start uh we're just going to do like the last like 10 15 minutes q a from the chat but uh the, my companion video to this was um it's currently called what causes targaryen madness it's it was originally called pyres and blood because i thought that was a clever name um Turns out people didn't understand what that meant. Um, that's how YouTube goes. Um, but the basic idea is that um, in the same way that. Oh, I can hear myself on your phone. Oh, you can. Yeah. Weird. On my phone. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. Yeah, I can actually hear myself. That's weird. Oh, you just muted yourself. To figure out where the, the sound is coming from oh uh, who knows anyway um so the basic idea behind it was um i i had gotten the idea the basic idea from bookshelf stuff i talked about it earlier how uh, there's this idea that big important moments are seen through these i through these dreamers and these magical people that are tuned into that kind of world and that they essentially are it's like a timeless sort of dreamscape kind of thing where when something important happens, everyone can see it. And I thought one of those big moments was probably since George puts such a huge emphasis on it, Danny bringing back the dragons. And then when you look back at some of the Targaryens, specifically since, um, since probably Arion, uh, Arion Brightflame, and maybe going back even further than that, it seems like a lot of Targaryens are trying to mimic this idea, the basic idea that there's some sort of big fire or a pyre followed by uh, some sort of king or important person dying dragons coming back and then that person being like the prince that was promised or Azora High. Uh, Ares calls this out specifically during uh, his plan to destroy King's Landing where he says um, he's going to be let Robert be the king over cooked meat. He's going to burn down the city. It will be his funeral pyre. And then from the ashes, he will rise reborn as a dragon. We know Arian Brightflame also had this kind of weird idea, again, with wildfire, that if you drink it, you will become a dragon. That, that's the explanation he gave before he killed himself by drinking wildfire. And then you look at Egg at Summerhall. Uh, I made the theory that he was essentially trying to recreate Danny's pyre. And the, um, the idea I proposed is that <clears throat> that he was probably going to try and sacrifice either himself or Rhaegar to mimic the uh, Danny, Cal uh, Drogo, and Rhaegar and sort of try to recreate that. And it just kind of went crazy bananas wrong. But I, like, I, I really like the basic idea that uh, Daenerys is this huge important person for the Targaryen dynasty, so much so that they're trying to 
I would, I would also really like it if that is the original vision. <laughs> like, if Azora High and the dragon has three heads and the prince that was promised is actually her. And that's the vision that for thousands of years people have been reacting to, but the details have gotten lost. And as we talked about earlier, everything's symbolic and hard to understand. And it's like, how would you interpret from like 2000 years ago seeing Danny burning <laughs> a pyre surrounded by Dothraki, mate, and then dragons being hatched? Like it could go all sorts of different ways, but it seems to link back to all of them. Oh, apparently I have to put on my hat. Hang on a second. <laughs> Uh, I really need to find a better spot for that because I almost just knocked over all my empty um, Oma Gang beers. All right. There we go. Hit 150 likes. I put on the silly hat. Is that good? You guys happy? <laughs> you got there. <laughs> There we go. Um, yeah, so those those were the two linked ones, and I think they kind of work really well together in terms of that there's this obsession for all the Targaryens trying to be what they think Daenerys is. <laughs> and sometimes it's written down, sometimes it's in dreams, sometimes it's in, um, in prophecy from the old sorcerers of Lyria, but it seems to all be linking down to the same thing that they're the Valyrians, or at least the Targaryens, think that Danny is Azor High come again, or at least when they see her, that's what they see, you know? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh. sorry. I, I can't see you anymore. I turned my phone off. Oh, okay. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm just kind of going off of. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah. Do you want me to turn my phone back on? No, it's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, um, one of the things that I've I've noticed with the um, with specifically with Orion and um, with the Mad King, and specifically specifically with the Mad King, is that they use the word the wording reborn, like mm -hmm. uh, reborn the dragon. And um, one of the things that um, if the prophecy does refer to Azor Ahai as a dragon, um, it, you know, Azor Ahai reborn, um, a dragon reborn would, would basically be just a different way of saying it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think that it's quite possible that um, they were trying to fulfill some sort of um, Azor Ahai type of a, of a ritual. Uh, I just think that they were so... Um, so, you know, riddled with madness that they, they, that was the first thing that they, you know, that, that, that came to mind. Um, I, since the Azor High prophecy, the way that I look at it, I think that if the Azor High prophecy says, um, refers to Azor High as a dragon, I think that it's possible when they read that prophecy, they took it literally, <laughs> uh, you know, like, yeah. oh, the dragon, Azor High is a dragon. I'm going to be a dragon, you know? Um, but but whatever the case, it's it's really an instance of two people riddled with um, you know serious mental illness. Um, you can tell even with you know uh, um, Ariane when he was young that it, he wasn't right. 
And um, no. he, he <laughs> was very, very seriously. And he even called himself a dragon and he referred to himself in very dragon-like qualities. And so um, he might've even had that notion at a very young age as well, which is very, very scary. Um, you know, cause you know, did he think that he was a Zora high? Did he like think maybe. that he was to be the Messiah and he was acting like that, you know, like, um, and maybe this is instructive on, you know, the nature of Azor high himself. Uh, but, but anyway, you look at it as somebody who's completely riddled with, um, with madness, just like the mad King who is, is trying to recreate this Azora high type of prophecy. And, um, and it's going terribly wrong. I mean, can you imagine how, how bad that would hurt to, to drink wildfire? Yeah, that basically would, that'd be awful. That must have, it's like, like drinking liquor correct. poison, like fire poison. Mm -hmm. He took a risk and he did not come out the winner on that one. And neither did the Mad King. Nope. Um, so when you, when you take a look at the wording specifically, especially with the Mad King, it says a reborn as a dragon and oh there's my lady um <laughs> she's old she's so old now she gets cranky oh sweet doggo i know she's like 14 <laughs> but um anyway uh yeah she, um there must be somebody outside either that or a squirrel um but uh but yeah but you can definitely see where you know being obsessed with that prophecy could take a wrong turn. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, you know, what happened there. So, uh, yeah. I also like the idea where if you're thinking about Danny on the pyre being super prophetic going backwards, like if her three dragons are what made the Targaryen sigil, like, <laughs> like if somebody saw her birthing three dragons, because we know the sigil didn't come about until they got the Westeros, like Valyrians didn't do that kind of thing. That was something they made up when they got here. It'd be like, if the history of the Targaryens, the things they're chasing, is her the whole time, but they think it was the far, far past, basically. It's like her own sigil, her own, like, uh, it's, it's, uh, this is something that happens in Doctor Who sometimes, where like characters, or in time travel in general, where uh, the ability to see in different part in different timelines sometimes makes it so characters are like named after themselves or imagery that they consider ancient is actually coming from them. That kind of thing. Yeah, and that's very interesting because you know there are hints to that that type of call those types of like callbacks. Um, you know, with with the show, what they did with Bran and, and the Hodor, mm -hmm. the Hodor. Because uh, that's probably going to be one of the three WTF books that um, George has referred to. Was it George or D&D &D that, that told us about the WTF books? Uh, that was Dan and Dave. Okay. But yeah, that was probably one of the... So we're probably going to see some sort of flavor of that. Um, possibly in the Winds of Winter. I, I hope in the Winds of Winter. I want Brand to get out of that cave soon. So Yeah. Uh, that'd be nice yeah uh so oh uh lady leaf underhill in the chat says the bootstrap paradox yeah that's what i'm talking about the bootstrap paradox who actually made it up well it was actually a pseudo time traveler which is kind of how you can think of the like ripples in the dreamscape idea like i don't know uh so we got about 10 minutes left so i think uh good time to throw this open to a q a from the chat we'll just answer a bunch of questions real fast so yeah 
all you guys, uh, 201 of you, uh, just start throwing questions out there and me and Amanda will try and machine gun these down. I could use better imagery for that. We'll try to answer them quickly in a way that isn't. Yeah. Um, uh, what I was specifically re uh, referring to was there's, well, spoilers for Doctor Who, River Song uh, is named after herself. That's a fun thing that happens if you know who that character is. Uh, oh, question here from uh, Aaron M., uh, one of my patrons. Lady, I mean, uh, Aaron M., the, what, what's, her, what is, what's the nickname she chose? It's Secretary of the Slack or something like that. Executive Assistant of the Slack. That's it. I say it every video. I should remember. Uh, do you think Martin generally leans towards self-fulfilling prophecies in the books? Danny seems to be leaning in that direction with her treasons, but will Zorahai end up being what, um, well, Zorahai, the, the one end up with any self-fulfillment? What do you think? Is it all self-fulfilling or is there any way to avoid them? I don't think that the true prophecies that there is a way to avoid them. Um, George R. R. Martin in an interview, he likes the trope of um, prophecies coming about in um, very different ways. And he gives this antidote anecdote of, um, uh, you know, which one I'm talking about? Um, no, but I, I laughed at antidote. Oh, 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 he gives this like anecdote of um, this one. Um, person in medieval oh i know Europe who you're talking about the um the the dragon in right or the, yes the dragon the uh, he, he is foretold that uh, he is going to die at this certain castle i think it was it was a castle and there might have been a dragon element to it but it was a castle and so his entire life he stayed well away from this <laughs> castle so that the prophecy would never ever ever happen and um, and and he was really good at it. He stayed away from it. And um, and how can it happen if he's not at the castle? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what he did. unfortunately um, something happened. He died just like people do. You know, people, all, you know, will eventually die. And so he, when he died, he was actually found underneath a sign of an inn or a, or a bar or a pub. And the sign that they used was actually had a picture of that castle. So it did fulfill, even yeah. though despite him trying to prevent it. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the anecdotes that he actually uses, one of the stories that he uses when talking about prophecy. And so, um, and as we see in some of the other instances, sometimes the prophecies do become fulfilled, just not in the way that we had expected it to. Very true. What can you what you can expect from the prophecies that are actually true prophecies is that they probably are going to be fulfilled, but they're not going to be fulfilled in the way we expect them to. I got the quote here. I found the one you were talking so, about. It says prophecies yeah. are, you know, a double edged sword. You have to handle them very carefully. I mean, they can add depth and interest to a book, but you don't want them to be too literal or too easy. In the Wars of the Roses that you mentioned, there is one lord who had been prophesied he would die beneath the walls of a certain castle. And he was superstitious at that sort of walls. So he never came anywhere near the castle. He stayed thousands of leagues away from that particular castle because of the prophecy. However, he was killed in the first battle of St. Paul de Vence. And when they found him dead, he was outside an inn whose sign was the picture of that castle. Then it's noted that Gurm laughed. So, you know, that's the way prophecies come true in unexpected ways. 
the more you try to avoid them, the more you are making them true. And I make a little fun with that. So I think that's absolutely the the way it's probably going. I agree with you totally. Uh, Luminous Rain says, what type of red is the house with the red door? A type of red? Do you mean like chartreuse? Like that kind of like type of red? Like what, what um, color do you think? Like how red is it? Color. Very red. I, I have no idea. Um, going... But the red door is interesting. You have any ideas on on the shade of red? Uh, probably Targaryen red. That's that dark crimson. Yeah, like uh, or scarlet. Is it? Scarlet? Oh, scarlet. Yeah, they call it scarlet so a lot. It, yeah. I think it's uh, different. But, uh, it's the color that, um, weirdly, that Mance Raider has his uh, cloak, the the scarlet silk from a shy. So probably that color, I would guess. You mean Secret Rhaegar? Yeah, Secret Rhaegar. Uh, Guilty Undertaker says, Lancel tells Jamie he sees visions from the Seven. Is he hallucinating from lack of food and sleep, or can the Seven or someone actually send visions? Um, Lancel is probably just hallucinating from lack of nutrition. Um, there's no indication the Seven are real in any sense. And if there is something that is imperson, I would guess if anything from the seven is being impersonated by the known magical beings that we know exist that can send dreams that have glass candles, these kind of things that it seems like the faith of the seven is just sort of a trick being played on people that it gets co-opted by whoever wants to use the power it represents in the society. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Um, one of the things that happens when you starve yourself is um, your body doesn't work the way that it should. <laughs> what? <laughs> and neither does your mind. And so, um, and it's it's been um, shown that um, that's one of the ways that people would induce visions is actually um, force forcing themselves into a type of uh, um, malnutrition induced hysteria. And so um, I think that George, when he's talking about um, that specifically with like Lancel and um, possibly with the high tower that foretold mm -hmm. um, uh, the Aegon would destroy the old town. Um, I think that it um, is trying to force something that isn't necessarily like uh, I'm not, I don't, you know, I've never had a prophetic dream, so <laughs> I don't know, but I, I would assume that they shouldn't be um, forced that they shouldn't be that, that if they're going to come to you, they're going to come to you. Yeah. Um, the characters that get so, them in story are unhappy. They get them. Um, they don't do anything. So, they just show up. Yeah. So if he if like the the Septon, uh, the high Septon did um, do that, he was probably working on his subconscious and his subconscious eventually told him, you know, this is really bad idea. And <laughs> it was the vision that he needed and Lancel's probably doing the same. Um, Baylor the Blessed also did that. Um, but knowing that the Targaryens do have a very, very deep history with prophetic dream, I think it's possible that he. He might have actually had a couple of legit ones. Um, but uh, it, it's all very interesting. But um, the Faith of the Seven is is one of those religions where there isn't a lot of evidence to back anything super mystical or magical behind behind it, um, other than possibly what happened with Davos on the Spears of the Merlin King. 
Um, I, do, I do have some thoughts about that. I, I may one day make a video, but um, for the most part, we we really aren't given anything to back that up. So yeah. it's getting visions is probably not from the seven. And it might be coming from somewhere else. That's that. But, I would agree with that. Uh, so Carl Karshnark says, are there any specific prophecies with regards to the others aside from old Nan's stories? Could they be included their defeat in prophecy? Well, all of these stories about Azor Ahai and the prince I was promised, they always have a very vague antagonist uh, that Melisandre calls the great other. It's it's very likely that since the long night is where is was the others and that's who Azorhai defeated that they are the unspoken negative to all these prophecies you are becoming the hero to defeat them so all of these are actually about them just you know in reverse exactly and um you know in, in the prophecy itself it, that the others are not mentioned the other the great others and the other you know the great other that melisandre is talking about is specific to her religion as well mm-hmm. um and so the prophecy it said it itself, from what we know of it, because we're constantly given, you know, more information. Um, Melisandre gives us a little bit. Benero gives us something that sounds nothing like what Melisandre is talking about. Um, and so there's there's hints that there's probably maybe more than out there than what we're being told. But um, anyway, uh, what we're being told is that. It, um, you know, when the darkness gathers and, and the red mm-hmm. star bleeds. And so it's a time of darkness. And that's when Azor Ahai came the first time is when darkness lay heavy on the world. And so that's why, you know, the, and of course he's a long night hero. Uh, if you are say, um, Aegon, the unlikely, and um, you might, interpret that metaphorically as well because uh damon blackfire is the black dragon so you might consider like um because he was trying to hatch dragons in response to damon blackfire um so you might you know uh, somebody reading that prophecy might take it might take that darkness that they read in the prophecy and identify it or interpret it in a different way so they may interpret it as, oh, the black dragon mm-hmm. or oh this or oh, oh, it's that just like any part of the prophecy. You can make any part of the prophecy fit what you want it to. And so you got to be really careful. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, definitely. Those are all actually about the others, no matter what the crazy people in the stories think. Um, a question here from House Sanchez. Uh, what do you think is the final outcome for Loris Tyrell? Off topic. But not a bad question. Uh, so he's currently been injured, according to, I think, Kevin Lannister on Dragonstone while trying to seize the island. Um, they they were ordered to go essentially take it back from Stannis's men. Um, I, I, I don't think he'll just die there. That seems like kind of a waste of his character. But if he's severely injured, I mean, it probably will end up being... Um, some sort of echo of whatever happens to Cersei and Jamie that Marjorie and Loras um, seem to be connected by in a thematic way by George, you know, the the queen and their Kingsguard brother that. Um, well, Jamie and Cersei are literally screwing, um, but there's been all sorts of rumors about what uh, Marjorie's been up to. So I don't know. With a maiming and also all that other kind of stuff, I imagine that Loras's fate will be tied to Marjorie. That he's not dead on Dragonstone. 
Yeah, I actually read a theory a long time ago, and um, it's probably unlikely, but I liked it. Um, I like this theory. It was that uh, Loras Tyrell um, might actually be unscathed, and that mm. that was um, a story given to the uh, Red Keep and to Queen Cersei. Yeah, but um it this is this is kind of like the the Quentin is alive kind of theories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and um uh, and there are some people that really like that one and I like this one. Um but um uh, chances are he probably you know their reports are probably true and he probably is um quite injured. Um and so it, it's hard to say what is going to happen next with really severe burns. If I'm I've got a medical background. Um depending on how much of his body surface areas affect that he probably will die from his burns and, and more so from the infection that will result. Mm-hmm. Um, that George wants to get, you know, real, real world's, you know, medical um, implications going on with his injuries. Uh, he'll probably die of infection um, and probably pretty soon. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to say if he does live and he's been maimed, he's gone through a lot and his lover has, has died. His lover has been assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been severely maimed. Um, his sister is, is imprisoned now. Um, there's just so many things that have happened to him. I, I could see him possibly, you know, if he can no longer be a warrior, cause that's, that's basically all he had left. He was, you know. King's guard then that's you know I don't, I don't know could be I, an I, opportunity for jamie to impart his wisdom since he was also maimed true that's true um but he's he's just gone through so much um it'll, it'll be a really interesting character development um but it you know from a medical standpoint he'll probably die from his infections <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's take one more and then that'll probably be it. I like to keep these to about two hours. Um, Ooh, let's see here. Um, uh, Isabel, um, Lamego asks, who sent Jamie his weird dreams? Should you blame blood Raven? Well, he was sleeping on a weirwood stump. So that implies that it was Children of the Forest related. Um, it's it's the dream he gets is really interesting because part of it is just rewinding his past. Like it's sort of like somebody hit fast forward on Jamie's life, and you see a lot of things that happen to him and a lot of his interactions, and then they the tone kind of switches, and it goes from him seeing people from his past to seeing that he needs to go save Brienne, and there's sort of more a prophetic end to it so it it doesn't it doesn't make sense for somebody else to send jamie his own dreams it seems like part way through maybe it got interrupted and perhaps blood raven perhaps brand from the future maybe one of the other children of the forest this is one of those things where it's like there are actually other green seers they just they don't get named they're hanging out in other caves basically so and glass candles and glass candles um i i would guess that Part of that dream was just him thinking about his own life. And then the other part of it was somebody sort of started peeking in and being like, go back and get Brienne for some reason. Mm-hmm. 
And you know what? It's the glass candle theory for entering dreams that uh, spurred on the um, Quaith is Joanna Lannister. Ah, yes. Quaith is everybody. Well, Quaith is everybody. She's everybody. Um, Because she's got a mask. (laughs) Same for cold hands. George puts a mask on his character and everyone goes wild. (laughs) Um... Oh, uh, here's one you'll probably be able to answer better than I do. This will be the last one uh, from All Hail the Night's Queen, who was very serious about making sure I wore this hat throughout this chat. She was constantly making sure everybody hit that like button. She says, uh, who do you think is the woman with the pale fire? Oh. What do you think? Um, there's not a lot of options. There's not a lot of options. If he is, oh, so if you're um, on is talking about the um if he is talking about the azora hypothesis he's talking about the comet um he's he is making some comments that sound a lot like Veneros. um so i i'm going to look at this from the assumption that he is fixated on the azora hypothesis mm-hmm. cuz there's not a lot of options you know like you know melisandre or cersei um those are the two big ones um I, I'm going to go with a um, an option from left field and say okay. Nissa Nissa. Oh, interesting. So the actual quote this comes from, I think it's from, uh, this is from The Forsaken, which actually Nauticast put out one of their patron-only episodes talking about it today. If you're one of their patrons at that level, I am sure Emmett has fabulous things to say about The Forsaken. Um, this is The Dream. It says... The dreams were worse the second time. He saw the long ships of the Ironborn adrift and burning on a boiling blood-red sea. He saw his brother on the Iron Throne again, but Euron was no longer human. He seemed more squid than man, a monster fathered by a kraken of the deep, his faith a, ra- a mass of writhing tentacles. Behind, beside him stood a shadow in a woman's form, long and tall and terrible, her hands alive with pale white fire. Dwarves capered for their amusement, male and female, naked and misshapen, locked in carnal embrace, biting and tearing at each other as Euron and his mate laughed and laughed and laughed. That sounds like Danny in the House of the Undying. Uh, she sees very similar visions, especially the dwarves with the fornicating and the biting at Westeros. I think that's the implication of that one. Um, although it's unclear why Danny would be long, terrible, and tall. She's not particularly tall. Um, but Aaron is also, I also don't think like this is probably true. Like, I don't think Euron's going to end up on the Iron Throne. His goal. Sorry, say that again? I think that's his goal. I mean, that's, yeah. well, it's, it's obviously his goal. I think this is um, ambition, his ambitions, not what will actually happen. But, but one of the things with Shade of the Evening is, is that it is very prophetic. And so it's speaking toward something. Um, either, you know, if, if it's his goal or if it's, you know, I, cause I agree with you. I don't think that he's going to meet to get his goal. I don't think that he'll actually sit the iron throne, but no. it, the, the vision has to be speaking towards something. And so, yeah, that's interesting. A good question though. It's interesting that that's how Euron might see Danny. That's his vision of her, like a compatriot that also wants to destroy the world and is super happy to see like 
the dwarves or you could see that as the small folk or the lords destroying each other for their amusement like that is not danny but it would be interesting if that's what euron thinks of her because uh, i talked about this with uh emmet on the um my on my corn stream talking about euron Greyjoy is that he sort of thinks that everyone else should think like him and that kind of tends to come up quite a bit um especially when you what you hear about danny from far away some of it's really not good i can see how you might get the misconception that she's like a kindred spirit if you're someone like euron if you hear like the death and destruction she's been um throwing all across essos like bathing the virgins and stuff yeah um, did you do you remember that quote wait say that again talking about taking men into thrall and uh she takes men into thrall and she um she breaks envoy the truces of envoys of uh envoys and she takes men into thrall and she bathes in blood and she you know does all these things yeah and so some of the things they say are true uh you know in one sense or of another you know like breaking um you know threatening envoys and doing this and that she she actually does a couple of them but uh but it's interesting how um you know the, the history of a person is made because you get um characters that um are really horrible people but the propaganda is put out that they're good like cersei for example yeah. joffrey you know and then with Danny, she's really not that bad, but nope. uh, but according to the rumor, she's a monster. So especially since the people making the rumors are like displaced lords who are very unhappy about her. So absolutely. they make up a lot of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think we're gonna go ahead and end here. Um, we're gonna do a, a few plugs. Make sure you stay to the end. Stay to the end, please. Uh, to the end of the video. Um, Coming up at five o'clock, it looks like Radio Westeros is going live with Joe Buckley, and they'll be talking about the Winds of Winter prologue. Um, Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy are awesome. Make sure you check that out. Let me let me make sure I got this right. Oh, they they just put out the link. Hang on, I'm gonna. <laughs> as I was looking for it, they posted it. Okay, hang on a second. Um, yeah, so there's the link to their stream coming up in about fifty minutes. Uh, I'll be watching too. I don't know what a man is probably going to do. Probably make her dog stop barking. Um, uh, why don't you um, do all the plugs for your stuff, what you're doing in the future, where people can find you. Sure. Um, so my video, uh, my YouTube channel is called the disputed lands and I'm on Twitter at profood underscore SD. You can find me there. Um, I'm working on a couple of videos. One is on the symbolism of the Greyjoy sigil so that'll be like part seven of ironborn myth and legend mm -hmm. and then i'm also doing um a another video surrounding the original long night and um because i i do have a theory that um when they're talking about the three heads of the dragon i think that um there's some hints that there might be actually referring to not just like danny and two sidekicks like a batman and two robins mm -hmm. um, I, I have a, I did a video and I believe that, um, there may actually be three Azora highs rather than one. Mm. And I think that it is reflected in the original long night as well. And I am going to present that in another video. Okay. That sounds all really good. Um, Amanda obviously makes awesome, awesome videos. I, <laughs> I remember there was a time 
Do you remember this when I called you? I'm like, Amanda, how do you make like such good videos? Explain to me how, like what software you're using? Like, how are you doing this? PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, it's PowerPoint. Apparently PowerPoint, but it's been, I was just good. like, oh, it looks so good and professional. How are you doing this? Ask for tips. <laughs> um, uh, for me, obviously, uh, support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe Magician. At the $5 level, you get access to the patron Slack, uh, the patron episodes where there will be a new one coming out. Uh, I'm looking at Meat House Man. I'm trying to. It's it's a hard one. Uh, it's a hard one to sort of get past just how truly horrific the imagery and the ideas behind it are. But I'm going to give it a shot. Um, also, there's a poll up right now. If you're one of my patrons and you haven't gone in, I put up a poll for what the next video will be. The one currently in the lead will be um, more of the Brienne the Beauty and Kago Corpse Killer uh, series talking about five year gap. Um, characters and this one is about the tattered prince who is tatters who was he before the five-year gap that george morphed into this person um the other option that's leading pretty well is uh talking about why jack and hagar is in the um the black cells at the beginning of the story but yeah um appreciate everyone that supports me there um Look for that stuff coming out. Next video looks like it's probably going to be the Tattered Prince one. And also thank you to uh, Maura Lee, John Moore, and Aaron. Uh, Aaron M., who all gave uh, Super Chats during this. I'll see you actually on Monday on Nauticast. We'll be on their third, their third of four episodes about, um, uh, I think it's A Clash of Kings, Davos 2. Uh, I believe that's the chapter. Let me double check. <laughs> It'd be bad if it was a different chapter, and that's the one I was studying. Yeah, Clash of Kings Davos 2. Uh, so that'll be on Monday night, I think at like 7 or 8-ish they go live. And then on Tuesday, my Crusader Kings 2 streams, and these Saturday streams will continue for the foreseeable future. So yeah, thank you very much, Amanda, for coming. This was always exceptionally awesome getting to talk to you about prophecy and weirdness and magic. Um, see you guys. Uh, hopefully on one of those other days and make sure you look out for Amanda's videos. Have a good weekend. Well, See you later. <laughs>